0: Hello and welcome to the Friday, August 26th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, student loans are forgiven, Deidre DeGere proposes a boost in state funding for public education, and we check in on Caleb to see if he has dried out yet from last Saturday at the State Fair. Hello everyone, I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids, and I'm glad to be back. After last week's vacation, I can now say that I unconditionally love myself and I can fully give my heart to my colleagues at the Gazette and here on the On Iowa Politics podcast. And much like Aaron Rodgers before me, I also had a, quote, magical experience with the sensation of feeling a hundred different hands on my body. Or that (laughs) might have just been when I was riding the Metro in D.C. It's tough to say. With me today on the podcast, our Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief and outstanding fill-in podcast host, Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Aaron. Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief, Caleb McCullough is
1: here. Good morning, Caleb. Good morning, Aaron. Uh, happen to re- happy to report that I am dry. I'm realizing that the shoes I wore that day are still out on my balcony because I put them there to dry, but I'll get them someday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the shoes we're still we still don't know the status. They could no, be still sure, a little yeah. damp. Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, also here is Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared.
2: Aaron, you know what's actually happening with all of the debt forgiveness is I'm taking it all on myself. I'm now the uh, the sin eater uh, for America's student loans. So <laughs> that's, you're you're welcome, everyone. That's
0: very big of you, Jared. Thank you so yeah. much. We yeah. all we all appreciate that.
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> And I should say, uh, just real quick, if you're feeling a little lost right now by my little intro, um, it's a response to last week's intro while I was off. So if you missed that podcast, uh, number one, you're probably very confused right now, and I apologize for that. Uh, But number two, you should definitely go back and listen uh, to the podcast because the whole thing was great.
2: This is a serialized show. A lot of people don't know that. They just think, you know, it's a new show. I can just pop in and out. No, not the case.
0: No, we're, we're going to start numbering episodes and everything and giving them names. Yeah, you can't just pop in when you want, folks. you got to listen to us every week.
3: Also, ayahuasca, a difficult word to pronounce.
0: I was impressed and actually revealed to me in that moment that I had never heard it said out loud. Like, I've read it, obviously, a number of times. But as I was listening to the podcast, I realized, like, oh, that's that's what that word is. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> There you go. Not only did you fill in as a host, Tom, you've taught me something. I feel like I learned something on last week's podcast, so thank you. All right. First up this week, uh, let's put a pin on our coverage of the Iowa State Fair. And when we say our coverage, uh, I really mean Caleb's coverage because – He really stepped up for us with yours truly, kind of taking some time off uh, over the past month. Uh, And how was Caleb rewarded for shouldering the burden of his first state fair on the Iowa politics beat? He had to suffer through a torrential downpour in the middle of covering a candidate. Uh, but that's the Iowa state fair, right? It's, it's either 99 degrees and humid under cloudless skies or it's raining. There, there seems to be no middle ground for state fair weather. So given that he had to suffer through all that, we're at least going to give him a few minutes here on the, on the podcast, uh, to talk about it. So Caleb, uh, Check me if I'm wrong, the big storm rolled in while former Vice President Mike Pence was making his way across the fairgrounds, right? So give us the whole soaking story.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, I keep hearing about the State Fair being hot, but it, it rained three of the six days that I was there, um, <laughs> and I only remembered to bring an umbrella on the last day, so that was uh, But was know, that at least the day
0: of the downpour?
1: No, no, no. no oh, umbrella. no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but, yeah, so, so Mike Pence showed up last Friday um, with Chuck Grassley, and he was thronged by local and national media. And he, they did a quick media scrum uh, where it was clear skies, and then right at the end of that, it started pouring. But, you know, they, they took it in stride. They, they did a quick tour of the, uh, of a lot of the fairgrounds. They were joined by other Republicans, Randy Feenstra, Zach Nunn, Marionette Miller-Meeks. Um, and Pence had also just come off a visit to New Hampshire which is kind of a pretty blaring alarm that he's uh, considering a presidential run. But uh, in, in common fashion, he did not give us a, any hints uh, last week about, about what that might look like. Um, so like most of the national Republicans we've been seeing, uh, you know, he said he was just there to support Chuck Grassley and he uh, brushed off any questions about his presidential ambitions. Um, but he did repeat some comments he made in New Hampshire Um, you know, saying that Republicans shouldn't be criticizing rank and file members of the FBI or call to defund the FBI, um, kind of in response to the search of Mar-a-Lago. And he also said that he would consider speaking before the January 6th uh, committee if he was called, but uh, he didn't, you know, give much. Otherwise, there was one uh, member of, I I didn't catch if it was ABC or NBC, um, that, you know, followed him around the entire time asking over and over are you going to testify before the committee he didn't he didn't give give up any more details other than you know i'll consider it and um and uh i uh have to consider my unique role as vice president so um and then tom we also speculated last week on whether it would be you know a warm welcome for pence or or if um his kind of opposition to trump would create a hostile crowd but um i would say that he was very well received uh you know every time he walked by the uh some like Beer tents or big areas. He got some cheers. There were some booze sprinkled in there, but it was mostly cheers. Um, and, you know, you can't tell if that's coming from Democrats or from Republicans who are upset with him for certifying a legitimate election. But you know, that's kind of the whole story. It was a pretty standard media event. Um, but yeah, the big the big twenty twenty four moment at this year's state fair.
0: And and you mentioned the uh, the one reporter's question, and then that makes me think to ask you, Caleb. So. We'll see how much you've been um, uh, indoctrinated now into being an Iowa politics reporter. How annoyed were/slash are you now by national media? Has, has that spiked? Because that's that's the measure. You know you're an Iowa reporter when you're complaining about the national reporters.
1: Right. It is you know it is a little, <laughs> little harder to get questions in when there's that big a crowd. Um but it was it was it was also good to see, you know, uh good to be nice to be alongside them, you know. I'm sure that was the, not the first time, but it was uh, an early time so, you know, maybe with with more uh, more of those I might get a little <laughs> more jaded, but uh yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It'll, you'll get there. Trust me. And I, in and, and all seriousness, there are some that I absolutely adore Von Hilliard who's been here a bunch of times, a fantastic reporter. Love seeing him every time he's out. Uh, Trip Gabriel from the times I think lived in Iowa practically for a year or two there. There, there's some good ones too.
2: If you, um, if you want to get a question in during the scrum, what you need to do is just yell, Oh my God, and point in a different direction from whatever it is that's going on. And then, you know, just, you know, get your question in.
0: When everybody the, turns.
2: Yeah, the national media people bit. are very easily distracted. People don't know that, but they, they distract easily.
0: They're like the dog from up, you just yell squirrel yes. and they...
2: <laughs> oh, oh, fantastic.
0: I'm staving that for the for next year in the caucus cycle. I'm putting that Caleb, one in my pocket.
2: I was actually wondering, did did Pence do anything in the way of talking about Trump at all? Like did Trump's name even get mentioned while he was talking?
1: You know, when he was talking about the uh, the FBI comments he did, he, you know, he said, you know, this is an unprecedented um, search of a former president. I don't think he said Donald Trump, but um, he said that's what he said. And then, you know, he, so that was a, a, a brief mention. And, you know, he didn't you know, he's not celebrating that um, that uh, search by any means. You know, he's still saying uh you know, we, we need to or we can hold Merrick Garland accountable, um, not necessarily saying for what, but, uh, you know, that's uh, that's kind of how he's taking this.
0: Yeah, interesting. And he didn't do any like big remarks, right? Like he didn't deliver a big stump speech anywhere or anything like that. He just kind of made his way through and glad handed and that kind of thing. Right yeah, so he yeah. had
1: some he had some opening comments before taking questions from reporters, but it wasn't for you know a general crowd. It was for the reporters, yeah. and it was just, you know, I'm here to support my good friend Chuck Grassley and you know Iowa needs six more years of Chuck Grassley.
0: Yeah, gotcha. All right. Um, so on the bright side of of this uh, and with the benefit of some passage of time now, uh, we can say that it, it didn't take long for Caleb to get his first truly gate state fair candidate coverage story, which, again, we all have. Uh, mine is having covered the absolute bonkers Saturday of the 2015 state fair when Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders all came to the fair on the same day. That was just absolute insanity. Um, folks who follow this stuff closely may remember that was the day that Trump literally swooped in via helicopter. And then um, as I understood it, Rod Boshart covered the story for us, but gave, let Kids who had come to see it uh, get a quick helicopter ride. Uh, just, just a, amazing stuff. An amazing day to what, be on the beach. Was that so when he said he people. was?
2: Was that when he said he was Batman? Because there's one time when he was like <laughs> flying people around on a helicopter, and a kid said something, and then he like said he was Batman. Or like, I have a faint memory of Batman being involved with a helicopter ride with Trump at some point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't remember. Uh, let's see. I'm doing, I'm going to the Google machine and I'm finding the story. Yes. Yep. Okay. That was it. Yep. Good. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Fantastic. Um, so, so yeah, so you, you, you do this in uh, uh, that the state fair in general, the Des Moines registers political soapbox always obviously brings candidates out and, uh, eventually we all kind of have our, um, our story about uh, covering candidates at the state fair. I I don't know if you guys do Tom and Jared, you're not right here in the Des Moines necessarily in the, in the heat of it, but so maybe you don't, but do do either of you have a a classic state fair uh, moment or memory?
2: Um, well, it it isn't super specific, but like I just genuinely delighted in my first year going there. For me it was 2019 cuz that that was the first year after I moved up here. And you know, there were like 10,000 different like democratic candidates running around and debasing themselves by being forced <laughs> to eat foods that should never be fried. And you know, it was it was hot, but it wasn't like super miserable and Slipknot was there, which is cool. Um and I got to try some of the award winners from, like, the previous years. And then, you know, I was also just there with, like, friends and family and my girlfriend. And we've now kind of uh, chosen that date as, like, our uh, anniversary date. So just, uh, you know, a nice. nice a nice bunch of good vibes from the, the first time I was there.
0: There you go. Nice. How about you, Tom? Um,
2: my memory is crap. Um,
3: <laughs> I... <laughs> Uh, well,
0: you've been eastern Iowa based here, so I mean this, i
3: yeah but i mean i was I was in Des Moines for a couple of years um with the register i mean i wasn't I wasn't covering politics, but mm-hmm. there was you know one summer where I was an intern and we were you know at the state fair for an entire week um again we weren't we weren't covering the candidates we were doing more of the feature stories the right sight sound smells foods all that um but I, I vaguely remember running into Chet Culver in it being incredibly hot and him just sweating profusely.
0: <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Oh, man. Uh, Jared, I- your story reminds me. I was also there the day after or maybe even the day of, and the reaction was already coming in. Actually, now that I say it out loud, I think it was day of, the uh, now infamous Delaney photo of him coming down the slide.
2: Oh, it's, yes.
0: <laughs> and I was actually around his team as that was starting to go viral. And I remember the, 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 the campaign's guy just kind of being like, you know, well, it, it is what it is now. There's nothing. There's no putting that genie back in the bottle.
2: Just having absolutely
0: uh, no fun whatsoever. <laughs>
2: just. It, uh, that that is like not even just for like uh, you know politics, but that just is an iconic moment for the state fair in general. Like That's that an all time oh, moment. Man.
0: Oh man, just amazing. Yep, fantastic. There's so many, uh, and I, you know, I we joke, but I, I think it's actually a thing that campaigns talk about now. Like, uh, you know, be careful about how you're photographed, be aware of how you're being photographed at the state fair. There was a classic one from even further back of Rick Perry eating a corn dog that I, I won't elaborate on why that um, was made fun of because this is a family podcast. Uh, but <laughs> it's to the point where, um, you know, campaigns are literally like, I think, talk to their candidates about, hey, just be aware of what you're doing at all times and don't eat certain things. Don't go on certain rides. There, it's There
2: amazing. is a... There was one candidate who I will forever respect for not caring about that, and that was John Kasich in 2016. That man just wolfed down food left he and ate right, and never so cared. much. He never cared how he looked, and I respect that. Like, <laughs> it, like he would just be tearing into pizza, wings. Didn't matter.
0: Oh, he ate it all. Oh yep. my god, he was amazing. That's right. Oh, my gosh. I,
3: I, I remember the photos of him in, in eating the wings and thinking, like, oh, God, this is going to be terrible for him.
0: <laughs> yep. And that was just the wings. That's not even taking into account everything else he had eaten around that. Oh, oh, my gosh. What a fair. You don't get any of this at the Minnesota State Fair. What are they talking about there? No. They're thinking nope. there's a Ooh,
3: shots fired on that one this week.
0: <laughs> All uh, right. Moving on. Begrudgingly, because that was fun. Uh, For the rest of this podcast, we're headed back to school, everybody. So pick up your pencils and get ready to take notes. Uh, This week, Deidre DeGere, the Democratic candidate for governor, unveiled her public education policy. Among the top liners in that policy drop was a $300 million one-time infusion of general aid to schools to be drawn out of the state's $1.4 billion budget surplus. And annual 4% general funding increases, and those annual increases have hovered more around 2% over the past decade, if not a little bit less than 2%. Uh, DeGere also proposed uh, restoring public workers' collective bargaining rights and increasing pay for teachers, administrators, and staff, although the policy paper doesn't say how she would accomplish that, that last piece. Um, Guys, education policy, obviously, is without a doubt one of the largest fault lines in this uh, gubernatorial campaign. You have the incumbent Governor Kim Reynolds, Republican who professes her strong support for public schools, but also wants a significant expansion of state funding for private school tuition assistance, uh, which public school advocates uh, vehemently oppose. And then here we have DeGier, the Democratic challenger, uh, calling for more state funding for public schools. Uh, Tom, we'll start with you on this one. Is DeGere's proposal about what you would have expected from the Democratic candidate? Did anything in there uh, surprise you or stand out otherwise?
3: yeah nothing in the policy really surprised me or, or stood out to me um covering her campaigns and listening to her talk on um the topic of, of public education um you know this policy is very much in line with what she's been saying um for months um and you know the three hundred dollar excuse me the three hundred million dollar uh one time infusion um you know is um Mirrors what um, uh, Democrats in the Iowa legislature um, were asking for last session. Um, So there's um, some, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? some, some rhyme uh, and reason to that, yeah. Some rhyme and reason to it. So there there was a a basis, a, a rational foundation argument for um for for that and and why they came up with that number. Um, same with the the four percent. Um, you know, arguing that um, previous funding increases for K twelve education approved by the legislature have fallen well short uh, of inflation in that um, historically you know, that number has been around roughly 4%, uh, although obviously, you know, today's environment, um, that number much more higher. Um, the, and, and again, she's, she's been a strong advocate proponent, um, for, for workers, for unions, for organized labor, um, and, and, you know, has decried, um, changes in state law, um, in recent years that have eroded collective bargaining rights, um, for teachers. So that's, Not all that surprising. Um, You know, that's a a kind of a fundamental campaign issue platform of the Democratic Party. Um, So, I mean, all all in all, you know, this education policy really closely aligns to kind of what she's been saying on the on the campaign trail on the on the. uh, in her stump speeches for a while now.
0: Yeah, and uh, Caleb, you covered uh, DeGier this week as uh, she visited a Des Moines area elementary school on the day she announced this policy. Uh, what did she have to uh, say to you about this policy, or you know anything beyond what we learned from the the paper itself? Yeah, well,
1: uh, she actually said um, a lot of what what Tom just noted here. You know that that three hundred million dollars was um, based on what uh, legislators ask for. Uh, earlier this year. um, And, you know, also said that um, the 4%, she didn't say this directly, but she said she wanted the, you know, to let the uh, funding of of schools be uh, not dictated, but guided by what the educators and and, uh, schools are asking for. So, you know, the Iowa State Education Association asked for a 4% um, minimum increase this year. And that's, you know, partly where that number comes from. Um, So she said that that, like, 300 million would be used for one-time expenditures as, as, as you mentioned but um, she said schools have a need for it and and they could start using it right away and uh, she yeah so she just kind of just said that she wants to let uh, educators and school officials uh, kind of set the their their request and and wanted the state to kind of give them what they said they need
0: yeah and that 4%, and I try to point this out as much as I can, as often I can in my reporting on this, and, and so I'll take the opportunity here on the podcast too. For this ongoing, every you know annual now education funding debate, if, if you want to understand that in the simplest terms possible, that's, that's what it is, is that 4%, it's that annual increase. This has become a thing because for years and years and years, for literal decades, since the mid-70s when the formula was uh, formed, the annual increases in state general funding were uh roughly well the average over the long haul is about 5% uh but usually a- around 4% and certainly no less and since republicans gained at least a, one con- control of one of the levers in 2011 that number has fallen significantly and like i said the average over those past what are we up to now 11 years um is around 2%. so that's cuz cuz you'll get <clears throat> mixed messages and democrats will say well we're not enough probably say well we're still putting in new money every year which is true and it's still x billion dollars which is true so at the heart of this whole debate that you hear every year over and over is that annual increase increase that's where the divide uh came and and why we we get and now folks are free to decide on their own whether that's a four percent increase is enough or too much or this or that but that's where this that's where this became a a, a wedge issue uh, politically at the state house over the past decade
2: not to um like cynically turn this in uh to like horse racy type stuff instead of just a please do fashion, what, uh, what else are we discussion. here for if we
0: don't do that yeah
2: I, I was just wondering you know how this these sort of like proposals can help not only like Deidre dejer but also Democrats like in the fall and the election like who is this kind of stuff play well with and maybe Sway?
0: Yeah, I think it's a fair question. Um, and one of the things I'll say right off the top is we regularly find that education policy in general is not typically a huge driver of voting behavior. It it almost always still comes down to you know those kitchen table type issues, was which is why you always still hear people candidates talking about the economy and, and and taxes. Um now this year in Iowa in this race, I could see this. Factoring in some way um, it 's just such a stark uh, contrast between the two candidates um, on this and and obviously the the governor's private school tuition assistance plan has been in the headlines for two straight years. Now, and and she made it an issue in the Republican primaries, uh, getting some members of her own party knocked out in favor of others who who are willing to come along with her. Um, So I would say normally we're probably talking about something that nobody's going to vote about anyway at the end of the day. But I could see that being different this year in this specific case in this race. Caleb or Tom, if you have anything to add to that.
3: I mean, I think potentially for Democrats, um, you know, where this could potentially help them is with um, Obama Trump voters in uh, rural areas, um, because if you think about it, in most rural places, the school district is the largest employer. Um, and particularly in some of those um, rural communities, again, um, those um like particularly along the Mississippi river, um, those rural communities where, you know, uh, you used to have a strong, um, I guess a strong contingent of, of, of Democrats and blue collar workers, um, working class background um, communities that, you know, for decades reliably voted for Democrats, you know, backed Obama, but then swung the other way and and voted for Trump. Um, yeah, this potentially could be um, a, a swayable issue um, for them. Um, you know, when you talk about, you know, um, shifting tax dollars shifting public funding um from again uh one of many of these communities is the largest employer um to potentially send students out of the district um or shift that funding to allow students in other districts um to go to 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 private schools um you know yeah that could be um an issue that really can can resonate with them and, and and can move them and particularly, and especially, you know, if you're making um, the case that um, we need to be paying teachers more, um, that we should be restoring collective bargaining rights for them. Um, You know, a lot of voters in that district, you know, probably have somebody in their family, um, you know, if not, you know, their wife or, or whatever. I mean, they, 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 they probably have a family member Um, who's employed by the district and would um, directly benefit from that.
0: And and not only are those schools in those smaller communities the biggest employer but it it's essentially a lot of times that community's identity almost right is 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 built around the school and if that school goes away if there if 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 something to happen happens where that school closes or we went through a, a phase of consolidation uh in past years in iowa and and uh school districts kind of merging to stay afloat and and how upsetting that was to some people in communities um so 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 there's that aspect of it too where a, a community's identity is really kind of connected to its school the threat of that going away could be something that motivates voters as well that's that's a great point
3: Tom. A, 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 absolutely and um uh eric van lanker um De Geer's, uh running mate um uh really seized on that. Um, when I spoke to him, he, a couple of weeks ago, he was at a Lynn County Democrats, um, meeting and he had been, um, traveling to these, these rural communities. And that's exactly what he said and, and said what he was hearing from, uh, voters he was, he was talking to, um, you know, voters who were wearing, um, you know, uh, uh, t-shirts, uh, sweatshirts with, um, the high school mascot on it. Um, yeah, it's, it's that, <laughs> yep. that community pride.
1: Yep. And you do have to wonder if, uh, you know, kind of a detailed policy like this, um, if that's going to make any difference versus kind of just saying on the campaign trail and, you know, reading in a news story, Dieter DeGier wants to increase funding for education, right? I mean, I, I don't know if there, how many people would not be swayed by that, but then would kind of read the line item of, of that, um, of that policy and think, hey, maybe there might be, a, there might be a group, you know, who's like, well, you know, doesn't really think much about it if it's kind of just a, a word, um, but, you know, might read uh, into a little more detail, but yeah, I don't know if the kind of line by line policy is too is too swaying.
3: Yeah, I, I think, I think part of it is the messaging too, you know, to, to hear or read a, a headline that says, Deidre Dejere wants to increase education funding, um, you know, I think for a certain segment of voters, you know, particularly Republican conservative voters, um, you know, they might read that and be like, okay, great. Does that mean that she wants to increase our taxes? Or, you know, how is she going to pay for that? Um, Versus saying that, um, you know, I want to save jobs for the largest employer in a lot of rural counties and in in rural districts. I, I think it's an issue of framing. And, depending yeah. on how um democrats and the Dejer campaign frame it if they frame it you know more toward the latter yeah potentially they could be successful in, in making some inroads in some of these places where you know democrats have been losing support for the last couple of elections
0: and, and to your point about messaging in places where they're having trouble maintaining population i mean we've talked about that in the past how the smaller towns are are losing people and 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 you could talk about that as an issue and say, Hey, this is just going to be one more thing that drives people away from your uh, small town. We'll follow that. and uh, uh, see how that debate plays out. I'm sure we'll hear more about that in the coming uh, weeks here leading up to November 8th. Uh, finally, this week, we move on to the federal level but stay in the education realm. President Joe Biden announced the federal government will forgive student loan debt of up to $10,000 for individuals who make $125,000 annually. And if I remember, it's another $10,000 for Pell Grant um, uh, folks who have Pell Grants. Um, the announcement addresses an issue that was very common on the 2020 campaign trail, especially for Democrats. Uh, we heard that constantly in, in the presidential primary that, that the need to address student loan debt. Um, now the move also has its critics, including Republicans, obviously, but not exclusively Republicans. Uh, there are some debates uh, that are just so silly that we're not even going to mention them here. I'll just say that they uh, fall under the old when I was a kid, I walked up hill both ways to school category. Uh, but there are some actual legitimate concerns, including from experts, about whether this is the right way to address the broader issue that is the ever-ballooning cost of college. Um Now, all that said, clearly, this is going to be a good thing in the short term for a lot of college graduates saddled with debt. Uh, That's just a fact, regardless of where you stand on the policy itself. Now, as I sometimes say around here, this is a political podcast, so let's ask the political question. Uh, Jared, is this move by the Biden administration a good thing or a bad thing politically for Democrats this November? Or or I suppose I should add um, option C, which would be it won't really matter either
2: way. Well, I mean, if you just monitor responses from like rank-and-file Democrats, which I grant isn't the most rigorous way of doing things, it's a good thing politically for Biden and for the party. A, because people like when the government gives them stuff. Um, The COVID checks were a great example of that in recent years. You know, and just in my own life with like the COVID checks, even people who skew conservative were plenty happy about that money coming in, even under Biden. And they didn't have much to to grouse about with uh, Biden on that matter. Um, And then also, you know, passing this kind of stuff signals to your base that you're working for them and heading into an election. That's particularly important because there are plenty of people who aren't going to want to go to vote for you in an off year election if they don't have any real sense that you're doing anything for them at all then what, what's the motivation? Um, and yeah, then, real,
0: real quick. Sorry, Jared, I don't mean to interrupt, yep. but I want, I want to nail down on that a little farther because, and, and it's interesting because up until, man, maybe about a month or so ago, you heard a lot about that on the Democrat side, right? Like, especially yep. from oh, younger yeah. voters and frustration. Like, why did we bother doing all that work to get this guy elected? He's done nothing that we asked him to do. And now in the last you know, month or so we've seen some big things like this, like the Inflation Reduction Act that included a ton of climate uh, policy in it. Uh, and so it seems like it took a while, but they fight the administration finally got to that checklist, it seems like
2: No totally. That's that's a big animating thing. And then the other thing that's animating, maybe not in terms of elections, but you know, whether we like it or not, a big factor in politics now is people want to see members of the other party get owned. And there's plenty of delight among Democrats that Republicans are apoplectic about this. You know, GOP members of like the Iowa delegation called it a handout and wealth redistribution. And, you know, that's let Democratic folks in the state just quote tweet all of those tweets with screenshots of forgiven PPP loans. And so they get to feel good about that. And
0: farm subsidies. And yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. That's a part too That doesn't matter when, when we go to the polls, probably. But. You know, that's a modern day phenomenon in uh, politics in America. So it it matters to some extent.
0: (laughs) Well, and speaking of that, that's a perfect segue because, Tom, I wanted to ask you, we we know, obviously, the Republicans were against this, uh, so we don't need to bother going down that laundry list. But uh, how did I was Democratic candidates for Congress uh, react to the announcement? Because you look at the broad scope, like like, uh, Jared mentioned, the rank and file largely uh, were supportive of it. But there were some more muted or even non-reactions? What, what, what did Iowa's Democrats have to say about it?
3: Yeah, so there were um, some criticisms among uh, Democrats uh, running uh, uh, in, the, in the general election this fall. Um, so uh, Iowa Democratic State Senator Liz Mathis, uh, who is running to challenge Iowa Republican uh, Representative Ashley Henson, issued a statement um, saying that um, she works in the state Senate to bring down the cost of college and increase access to skills training for for good paying jobs that we need to fill here in Iowa, but said that we need a policy at the federal level that does the same and uh, feels that the Biden administration student loan forgiveness plans plan, excuse me, falls short of addressing the root problems of college affordability. Um, Iowa Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Mike Franken, um, who's running to challenge uh, Republican uh, Iowa Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, um, kind of echoed Mathis um, in a post on Twitter um, saying that um, the administration's college debt forgiveness plan does not fix uh, the problems associated with the cost of higher ed- education and that a far more comprehensive approach is needed.
0: Yeah. And yeah. And that's, those are similar to what I've heard elsewhere too. So that that's, that was interesting. Uh, Caleb, you you didn't um, intentionally recuse yourself from from this discussion as the most recent college grad in the room, but I, because of that, I wanted to give you the last opportunity, say, say what you can as objectively as possible on this being a very recent college graduate. What do you, what do you think about this move?
1: Well, I I will say since I uh, didn't File any tax returns until last year. I never got any stimulus checks, so I could be pretty objective about that. But I, there you go. <laughs> I have to say, I'm 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 getting a little bit of a of a of a increase in my net worth here uh, after this. But you know, <laughs> as a political matter, you know who knows. I think it's I think it can uh, uh, help. You know, as Jared said, with those Democrats who are Democrat leaning uh, younger voters who may not be excited to come out in a midterm, but um, you know. See this as something that's helping them, um, but I do think also there's some liability for um, some Democrats in more re- Republican-leaning districts, um, like the ones Tom mentioned, uh, because I think you know kind of the older um, independent voter who might you know see certain um, benefits of a Democratic uh, Congress and want to lean that way, but you know thinks that this is a giveaway or thinks that it's you know transferring right. the payments onto hardworking Americans you know, so it's, it's a difficult, uh, needle to thread, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see to, to what degree, um, it plays out. Uh, I think that's it folks. We've, we've reached the end of another on Iowa politics podcast. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends and subscribe to us on any number of streaming audio devices, services, sorry, uh, and devices, devices, services, just subscribe, smash that button. Uh, If you have any suggestions for topics to discuss, or you just want to reach out, you can send an email to podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll get all the latest politics and government coverage from our team, and my terrible ability to put graphic elements into a newsletter. You can subscribe to that On Iowa Politics newsletter on thegazette.com. Lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Dead Larry will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the show, please send us a sound file for tom caleb jared and our producer steven i'm aaron murphy thanks for listening
4: or